I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. And the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 country stay connected with one easy-to-use app. Get business phone service. Get business call centers. Cloud. You name it. Sports. Facts. Science. Nextiva.com slash 12 Pack. One of the best business phone services in the country. Nextiva.com slash 12 Pack to get started. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rink College Football Statistical Model, and your home for the... For I, what kind of an NFL fan? I'm not going to lie right now, Rob. What kind of an NFL fan? Holy Moses! <laughs> <laughs> this weekend would turn anyone into one. Oh, right? I was dying. There's like good quarterback play, not in every game, but you know, you you have yeah. Tom Brady, you know, taking the team back almost, almost, and then Stafford just drops a bomb, you know, right, right in the basket. Then you got, um, oh my gosh, the the Chiefs and um and Bills game was fantastic and like creative play calling. It, it was just so cool because. There was this influx of college football creativity in that last game, the night game. And it's it was such a contrast between what we saw between and by the way, we're gonna get to a bunch of Pac-12 news, but I just think it's fascinating that you see the Chiefs and Bills and you just see interesting play calling and just some crazy throws and they're airing it out. And then you go and you watch Cincinnati, Tennessee, and like and you have um the Tennessee quarterback can't be bothered to stretch out for one yard. You have them like, you know, running a shotgun run on third and one and getting stuff. It was just like the most gross NFL play calling. And it just yeah. reminded me of why I really don't enjoy the NFL sometimes. And then going from that to Holy crap, one of the best games I've ever seen in my life. Um, anyway, it's it fascinating. It put me in a good mood this week. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Like, uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm I'm buoyed by the uh I guess you could say the 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 fact that like the Pac twelve, I think despite some some down and strange years and some wandering in the wilderness, like I feel like and we're gonna talk about it, some of the reasons for optimism. I feel like there's some like reasons for optimism heading into next season. Like there there are amongst like the Durham and Strang, like there are some good things yeah. uh, going on. I mean, obviously, Lincoln, we're going to get to USC's hall here shortly. I think we're going to lead with that. But if you look down at some of the transfer portal news that we've been tracking, some of the teams that we were kind of keeping an eye on going like they need to move now are starting to do that. ASU will cover some of the players that they've gotten. Colorado starting to bring, you know, I'm not sure the players Colorado is bringing in are excellent, but they are at least bringing in players to the program. Right. <laughs> you have that. We've already <laughs> talked about the influx of wider of, of quarterbacks. There's just some interesting pieces starting to, to fall into place. And uh, let, let's just start with USC, Rob, because it seems like every five minutes you see Lincoln Riley flash the, uh, the victory sign on Twitter. And I'm like, all right, here we come. Caleb Williams, let's go. And then it's another blue star, you know, blue, uh, blue chip, four star, five star transfer. And which is fascinating because when you take a look at USC's talent in general, seems like they had a pretty good, you know, hall of players on paper over the last four years. And I like the fact that Riley's coming in and saying like, no, you got to prove it. And I'm going to go out and find yeah. people that make you prove it. And if that's if you want to be an elite program, it seems like he's approaching it the way that he should. Yeah, I mean they've done a terrific job, you know, really revamping. Um, you know, and I I think a lot of the a lot of the focus really has been on, you know, the fact that and and we've talked about. I mean, the defense was god awful last year. I mean, the offense was okay. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, you're obvious, you know, obviously off the top, like right off the top of your head, you're thinking, oh man, like we, he, he's clearly got to go out and sign a bunch of great players on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, like the, the big names that they hauled in early, you know, really, you know, the Riley has, has focused on, you know, bringing in players that can really, you know, upgrade the skill positions too on the offensive side of the ball. And we should also preface this with, I think, while, while, while nearly every program in America would like to bring in a truly impact defensive lineman or offensive ta- or offensive lineman, there are fewer of those dudes in the portal <laughs> and, and everyone is after them. Um, but like, I mean, if you look at just like the wide receivers, Mario Williams from Oklahoma, Brendan Rice from Colorado, he was a four-star. Terrell Bynum from <clears throat> from Washington, you know, like bringing in real talent there. This week, I mean, Austin Jones from Stanford, who yeah. was a big get for Stanford in recruiting. Travis Dye, who was phenomenal for Oregon this last year. Um, big part of their offense is, is now coming into play for USC. Uh, I mean, that's a big, I mean, there's more to, to cover, but like just on the offensive side of the football at the skill positions, like that's a real makeover. Oh, it's fascinating. I want to highlight when we did our Stanford preview last year, and I think I posed the question, what is Stanford going to do all with all these running backs? And, and right. you and Hithliday at the same time basically said transfer. <laughs> and that's, right. that's what we're starting to see, right? Stanford had brought in four just blue chip running backs and couldn't do anything with them. I was excited about Austin Jones at Stanford. Now we get to see him feasibly in a real offense with it with a real like an amazing offensive mind and like that's not even the highlight Travis Dye is the highlight I mean it's just really interesting to see what's going on in, in yeah. Los Angeles Mr. No Gloves himself is going <laughs> to to uh, LA no, and look I mean I think too I mean we talked about you know the fact that USC went out and hired A&M's offensive line coach, like I I just expect the line play to be better next season. And I think that's a reasonable expectation, Um, you know, but this offense, I think, you know, pending a quarterback, (laughs) um, you know, it should look real. I mean, they should, they should, because last year this was true, you know, it was really Drake London and then a bunch of highly, highly recruited guys, and that weren't playing up to their level last yeah. season at USC. Um, and I'm not like, I'm not saying, I mean, I, I, I do think with like Mario Williams, um, you know, and, and Brendan Rice certainly has a lot of potential upside, um, you know, as, and then, you know, Bynum, you know, also has some upside too. But I mean, I, I think that you really should, we should have a shot to see, you know, USC with at least some, you know, really serious competition from experienced players, um, you know, out there. And, and, and really too, like the offense should not, the existing players, you know, Lincoln Riley runs a more sophisticated, smarter, much smarter version of what Graham Harrell was running. Um, but the terminology should be relatively similar. Large parts of the playbook should be similar. You know, this should be something that USC's offense should be able to hit the ground running with. Um, you are starting to feel like pending a Caleb Williams transfer, USC should be set up to, you know, I, I mean, really have a top 15 offense at worst. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the things that was interesting about Riley, too, and this is why the film review guys are so important. And Hithliday was on this before. I certainly was. And it was the, the fact that people had caught up with Graham Harrell. You know, yeah. and we and I kept saying, oh, like you know, the air raid there, and you kind of get wrapped up in that because they would put up points against like bad teams, and then they go up against a team that actually like pays for defensive coordinators and actually has talent on the field, and you kind of saw what happened, and that that shutdown started to happen further down the the pecking order of the Pac-12 with him. So now you and you know you infuse kind of the the best minds, you know, uh, hopefully in the in the college football ranks to start motivating that offense and bringing in talent to push the wide receivers. I did feel bad for some of the other wide receivers at USC. I'm just curious if it was just, they, they missed on recruiting, which I, I probably doubt, um, or if it's just bad scheme and and they just weren't able to, to make the best of the players. So now you kind of have the best of both worlds. You don't have a lot of wide receivers transferring out. I think Gary Bryant jr. Is still there. I think you're going to have, I know Brewer McCoy did for, but I think there were some outside issues there 
and it probably might have been a good thing that he was gone. But uh, anyway, it's just you have competition, which is what you want. And I kind of like the idea. We, we talked about this with Oregon sometimes where it's like I would love for Oregon players to that decide not to like I would love for, I would love for the top programs in the Pac-12 to bring in significantly ridiculous amounts of talent that on paper won't all be able to play on the field. And then those players right. transfer to, to other Pac-12 teams. I'd very much like that to happen. And that might actually right. happen here. Yeah. I mean, like, I and I think too, I mean, like you look like USC did sign some, ta- I mean, like Relique Brown, the running back that they signed is, uh, you know, one of the best players. I mean, like rated as the second best running back in the country. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like CJ Williams, you know, a wide receiver they signed big kid, you know, like, a, like 12th best wide receiver in the country. So if you look at it, like they're adding right now four four very good wide receivers that some of whom have some playing experience that, you know, they should be able to, you know, at least at the very, like, and they were a little thin last year. Some of it was McCoy, you know, and his off the field problems. Um, but they also, I don't think the coaching was great. I don't think the play calling was great. Um, and I do think, you know, that they should be in a much better spot. USC should at least be able to fill out a two deep with, you know, some reasonably good options, I think, um, at the skill positions. I mean, pending Caleb, you know, landing Caleb Williams. I mean, the, the rumor is it's down to LSU and USC. I love the fact that, um, don't go to LSU freaking like, <laughs> like, like Brian, like this, this, this amazes me. This is a total aside, <clears throat> but like Brian Kelly hired Mike Dembrock, the offensive coordinator for Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And back in 2015, like Brian, he was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame and Brian Kelly took play calling duties away from him. Oh, <laughs> and then he goes then he goes to Cincinnati, who's the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati. And then Cincinnati made a bit of a jump this year offensively. And after the you know, Denbrock's announced to go to LSU, Luke Fickle announces like, hey, we're going to uh there's gonna be an internal promotion to offensive coordinator. And this person, by the way, started calling plays at the beginning of twenty twenty one. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, you're going to hear a lot of national podcasts. Like I listened to the split zone duo. People are going to gush over this Brian Kelly staff. Like there is a hard ceiling on what LSU is going to do. And it is going to be with the coordinator hires that he made. Like great. They have some great recruiters at the position coaches, but Kelly whiffed hard, you know, at the, at his coordinators. Oh, that's interesting. I, I The other thing that popped up for me on the national front is Bud Elliott was asked about, and I, I those guys at the Cover 3 podcast, they're great. They're just really, really good. And and they're also plugged into recruiting, and they, they know where the bodies are buried. So somebody had asked Bud Elliott, like, hey, so what's taking so long? And Bud Elliott just says, they're just working some things out. And they're like, pray, Bud Elliott, what are they working out? He's like, I don't know, there's lots of moving parts. You can just tell that people are putting those bags together to, to you know, those NIL packages and and other uh, other ways to get Caleb Williams to come to their school. I One question for you before we move on, because it's likely that USC gets Caleb Williams. At least that's what I would assume. Yeah. I mean, he was fine. I mean, he's a true freshman, right? Played really well as a true freshman. It wasn't Trevor Lawrence, and I guess there aren't many Trevor Lawrences. I, I just like I found him more erratic than the attention that is given to him as being like the savior at USC. And I understand that it was his first year, and he was thrown in the middle of the year. But there were there were multiple games. I watched a lot of Oklahoma football this year, where I'm like, I mean, I I see it, but he's he's not there yet. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> so here's some fun inside baseball. So my, I, I joke around, like, I don't have sources, but I do know some people and I know some people who like know things around and hear rumors in the big 12. The problem, like the, one of the big problems with Oklahoma's offense this year was the offensive line. And the reason Bill Bedenbaugh did not end up coming to USC, even though it was sort of originally announced that they thought he was going to, was that he and Riley really like got into it, like actually got into it at the workplace over, you know, the, like the over offensive line development (laughs) this year in particular. Um, And so you could see with, 
you know, this season, Spencer Rattler like really struggled because the offensive line wasn't really, you know, giving Oklahoma the kind of run game that like, you know, the ability to run the football that they've often had under Riley. Um, you know, Rattler was often under pressure and the wide receivers were, I don't think were quite as good as Oklahoma has had in years past either. And so that left, that left them in a position where like, I mean, Rattler didn't look good. It's not necessarily on. I mean, Rattler is not the runner that Caleb Williams is. He opened up that offense again by giving them the threat of running the football. Um, and that was a major add-on. But you're right. I mean, there were times he made some pretty dangerous throws. But those are things that you can, you know, develop out of. What you really see, though, is just a just a, a stupid amount of talent <laughs> just uh, that he's got. And it's true too. I mean, not everybody comes in like Trevor Lawrence and just, you know, yeah. lights it up and is super mature. doesn't make, but you know, those Trevor Lawrence teams too, like they were really good running the football. Um, and that's one of the things like Williams had to play hero ball. Like he had to do everything to get that Oklahoma offense going. Yeah, that's fair. Um, anything else on USC? We got, yeah, we didn't even cover the defenses we got going on. <laughs> okay. What do we got? Because they, I mean, they did add, I mean, they added, uh, so the announcement, I mean, I think it was assumed for a little bit. Mecky Blackman, the cornerback from Colorado is transferring in. Um, that's a really good get for them. And then yesterday they got Romello height transfer in from Auburn at linebacker. And then Shane Lee transfer in from Alabama at linebacker. Two really good gets. I mean, these are guys, of course, that aren't, you know, weren't likely to be cracking the regular rotation at those SEC schools. Um, but I think for USC, at the very least, are going to provide um, real quality depth that they they need as well as challenging for some starting, you know, uh, some starter reps. Well, that's interesting. And again, depth and, and some of these players are going to hit. And that's pretty yeah. exciting. All right, let, let's take a quick break, and then we have, I mean, Washington's brought in some players. Utah's brought in uh, a player of note, and, and they're already a strong team moving into 2022. Colorado, Arizona State, there's lots of news to cover. Let's get to it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're going to go through some more more transfer talent, and then we'll go into our Cal postmortem this week. Rob, lots of teams to cover let's do utah kind of get it out of the way because that team already is going to be strong and every year and we've learned right i think the first two years we did this podcast we kept asking the questions how are they going to fill their linebacking core like it doesn't seem like there's anybody here and then lo and behold they pull four fans out of the stands and they're all you know all conference players <laughs> no it'd be, you know what it always was it'd be like there'd be some undersized you know some safety. big safety yeah. you know some big safety undersized linebacker that they were moving down and you'd be like i don't know we haven't seen him with this before or something like that and they would just come in and be great you know <laughs> so i have i've just i'm not going to ask the question like they will be fine right like they're losing one of the best players in college football uh you know off to the nfl but like they will be fine at linebacker. Yeah, and they brought in a uh, transfer from Florida, Mohamed Diabate, who uh, another four-star guy. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to fit in the system. But I just like, I like that Utah can be fairly selective, right? And yeah. you know, looking down here, I guess, I guess you can as many tight ends as you want to get. Fine, go ahead, Utah. I mean, they they got a guy from San Diego that ended up catching some passes. They brought in a guy from Idaho this year. Who knows? Um, they have another wide receiver that they brought in from Syracuse. I mean, they throw their wide receivers like four times a, uh, a year, so whatever. But I really do like the fact that they were able to bring in another high-level transfer um, from an SEC school that could provide some depth, and they really do need it at that linebacking position. And uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited about this. This is one that popped up, and I'm like, hooray! <laughs> this is exactly – you know, it's, it's always fun when you see a player – with with significant talent and then they they land in a spot that makes sense you're like yes this is this is excellent um so i'm I'm excited to see what he's able to do on the field 
Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, there are rumblings sort of out of there in the recruiting world that Lander Barton, their their top signee, could end, eventually get a fifth star. He's played really well in some exhibition, you know, type stuff out there. Um, and he's a player that people are really, really high on. And, and you might see coming in. He, he looks the part. Um, you know, maybe you could potentially see playing time this season. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Top 200 recruit, one of the, the top linebackers in the country. Definitely, definitely headshot. Looks like he's one of the henchmen from Die Hard. You know, like he's, yeah. like he's murdering, he's murdering people like downstairs that are doing coke or whatever at the at the Christmas party. But uh, but that's what you want. That's what you want in your linebackers. I'm excited to see him on there. That'd be awesome if he's able to just have an immediate impact. Um, because I would love to see Utah just continue the momentum that they had at the middle to the end of the year and just carry that on in 2022. Rob, we have. You know, I guess one one quick note is no transfers from Oregon State, which I think is fascinating on its on its own. Um, yeah, we'll see. But really, the the big four schools here that have brought in, let's say, the big three schools that have brought in players, uh, Washington, Colorado, and Arizona State have really made some headway. Um, actually, I should mention real fast that Oregon got Christian Gonzalez, the safety out of Colorado, which is a good pickup for them. We had mentioned Sam Tiamani, um, one of the defensive linemen from Washington that came in highly regarded. And of course, we mentioned Bo Nix. But the three teams really that have seen an influx of players, Washington, Colorado, and Arizona State, uh, where do you want to start? Uh, let's do ASU. I think they've really brought in the most players. Yeah. And that um, they've was, been, they've been on a roll of late. And that was one where like, Oh no, you know? Yeah. Uh, and now, now we're starting to see some players. Where do you want to start? I mean, I think the big name there is, you know, Nesta Jade Silvera, you know, the defensive lineman they're getting from Miami, you know, still, um, you know, pretty well regarded. I mean, he was in, you know, a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school, but still, you know, pretty well regarded. And at Arizona State, they they have some uh, they have some guys coming back on the defensive line. You know, he should be able to push for playing time, and they should have, they should be pretty well set, I would think, for depth along the you know, the interior defensive line with him in. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. That that's the one area where. I would hang my hat if I'm an ASU fan is the fact that they should be able to get pressure. I think the development of the talent on that line has, has been really consistent. So yeah. that's exciting that they're able to add another piece to that strength. The the two new transfers that they got was uh, Des Holmes, who was a uh, transfer from Penn State on the offensive line. And then just the most beautiful headshot I've seen in my entire life. Emmett is uh, either Bole or Bowl. And we're talking full Yanni hair and just a dirty 80s mustache. And it is the best. So (laughs) I I think he comes with the Juco ranks. I got to go back and take a look there. But, you know, anytime you can start filling that roster out is really important. Of course, they had Chris Martinez, the uh, tackle from San Diego State that's transferred. So clearly trying to beef up that offensive line. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, and and I think expect more to come, right? That's what, I mean, and and, uh, ASU got... Gosh, that old old school coach and his name escapes me right now. He almost looks like Mel <laughs> Kiper for some reason in my mind, but it's not him. Um, oh, um, Brian. Um, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting his name. I can picture him. He's the Ravens coach. He was the Ravens coach for a long time. Yeah, yeah. NFL. They got three <laughs> NFL coaches now on that staff. And Billick. Who is it? Billick. Brian Billick. Oh, Brian Billick. Good call. Just hit me. And uh, our friends over at uh, at uh, Pac-12 Apostles sent out a, a clip of him just going after a player and saying, like, you know, there are those that go to college and then those that go to ASU. <laughs> it's, just, it's just great because now he's on the <laughs> ASU coaching staff. So he's great. actually good friends with Jed Fish at Arizona. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, like he uh, he he Fish got him to uh, address the Arizona uh, team this past spring. Oh, right on. Okay, well we got that. Let's go over to let's go over to Washington here. I think they got well. They got a starter in uh, in the linebacking core in Cameron Bright from Pitt. I mean, that's you know, fill up what you got to fill up. Um, yeah. Aaron Dumas, a player from a three star running back from New Mexico. You you, you Rob uh, have have a, a vested interest in New Mexico. What do you think about this guy? I mean, he's all right. He you know he he got some playing time in New Mexico. Um, you know, I think the the you know the the logic that people were throwing around for this uh, this one in particular was that um, you know DeBoer he had a really good game against Fresno State, uh, and perhaps that stuck out stuck out to the coaching staff. Ah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I got it. Like, 
I kind of wish Washington was picking off some bigger players. I mean, like Penix, I mean, like Penix was a really good get. Yeah. Um, you know, if he's healthy, getting the getting the running back, yeah, getting a running back from New Mexico and a line, I mean, a linebacker from Pitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the player that's interesting. I, I mean, like you feel like Washington should have more, should be both more, a little more active in the transfer portal, um, and also hitting a little higher. Right. Like uh, being able to go out there and nab some bigger name players than they have to this point. Yeah. Beautiful campus. Cool city. Um, you know, really strong history. I got gotcha. you. The The last player that I think is interesting is Junior Alexander. He was a four star yeah. blue chip wide receiver that had committed to ASU. And I think this is interesting because he didn't see the field, but he was behind a bunch of other blue chip guys that didn't have production because they couldn't throw the ball. So like there is a world where junior Alexander comes out. He's six, three, you know, 190 pounds. He comes in and, and has a, has a solid impact in the first couple of years. And that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, that could be a really nice piece for them just depending on, on how he develops. Yeah. I mean, you could talk yourself into, you know, like, Oh, it's, you know, you could talk yourself into, he was, not seeing the field at ASU because they were so good with the wide receivers. I just, I mean, nobody was so dot like there's nobody on that ASU wide receiver core who was like, you know, who's the guy they had like Brandon Ayuk in Daniel's first year where they basically just threw a million short passes to Brandon Ayuk and let him do his thing. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> like, I mean, well, they didn't have anybody like that. Uh, but that said, like, I, you know, you can talk yourself into him you know, him being sort of like a diamond in the rough, you know, like they just couldn't break through at ASU. Yeah. Interesting piece. Colorado starting to fill up that roster. I mean, just an exodus. They, they've lost so many players. We've already covered that, but they're starting to fill in uh, some of these positions here. They got Tommy Brown, a tackle from Alabama who initially was a four-star guy. He's been downgraded since then. Uh, 309 pounds, six, seven, and then uh, out of Baylor, they got a wide receiver that that has braved the, the track record of Colorado in recent years of developing their wide receivers. Um, and he he joins. So that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Any of these guys do it for you, Rob? No, but I mean, Colorado's going to have to go out there and find some guys, and I'm glad they're actually doing it. I mean, it's not just – what concerns you, though, as you look at these guys is <clears throat> like the guys that – I mean – you, like one of the things to tell about the portal is like, where are the guys from Co who are leaving from Colorado signing and they're signing at better programs for the most part. Yeah. Um, that's what sort of hurts. And then you see these guys coming in and you're like, Oh, they just like, I mean, Col like Colorado is another one. Like they should have so much playing time to potentially offer you. You want them to be able to be pushing out there, pushing harder. Yeah, that's true. And then you take a look at just what they've done again. You know, there's going to be players that pop that aren't, highly recruited or have two stars or three stars or whatever. Like I understand that, but on an average you want to, you want to see momentum and Carl Durrell, man, just it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough out there right now. And it's a shame because that's a beautiful campus also. And, and also has a history of, of really excellent football. Um, we will not discuss how they got to said, <laughs> said yeah. uh, record in football in a couple of those years, but they did it. They did it. That's what matters. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Anything else from the transfer portal before we go into our Cal postmortem, Rob? No, no. The, the Caleb Williams watch goes on, but there's only, I believe it could potentially only go on for five more days where he could be actually show up and enroll at USC and participate in spring practice. I think he has to be enrolled by the 29th. All right. He's going to do the opposite of, uh, of the Arizona quarterback and he's going to go to the major league baseball ranks that that's my goal you know i think they <laughs> throw everybody for a loop um all right let's get to the cal postmortem which is fascinating just a really interesting team and let's do it right after this all right we're back and rob last year we angered a cal fan and i and i like i i rarely do massive retaliation on twitter i've i've been much better but there was a Cal fan that was rather obnoxious to us. Um, and, uh, and, and I like, look, if you're a Cal fan, it's, it's difficult in these last two years to get a feel for what your team is because just wrecked by COVID last year, COVID rolls through the program this year. Um, Chase Garbers ends up transferring and we were 
kind of worried about the defense, but they actually yeah. it was bad. It was way better. Like I will, I'll admit when I'm wrong. Like I, I was a total skeptic, and the defense was decent. The yep. the offense was weird. You know, they still have Bill Musgrave there. I don't like. It's just such a weird program to go through. But let's dive into it. What were their, what were their final numbers for the year? So I mean, like you know, be a culpa. Like I thought the defense was going to be terrible. The defense was pretty good. They finished at 29 in Beta Rank. Um, you know, I mean, and where they really shined was limiting big plays. They were seven in explosive drives. Now you could put together drives on them. They were at 64 in drive efficiency. Um, <clears throat> but you know, no big run pass split. They, you know, that that old Cal, you know, from the first part of the Wilcox years where they didn't have a nose guard and you could just run up, you know, or nose tackle, you could just run A and B gap on them all day. Uh, you know, that went away a little bit. Um, but <clears throat> The offense was god awful. Um, eighty-eight on offense and beta rank. They were they were at fifty-one in explosive drives. That's really their best number. One twenty-one at drive efficiency. I mean, this team could just not put together drives to save their life. Um, and Garbers is going like apparently deciding to go pro. I, I mean, they were at eighty-five at effective pass. I mean, they were nearly unwatchable when they tried to throw the football. So um, that's the. It, it, it does make for an interesting, I mean, I like, I mean, they're bringing in, um, you know, the defensive coordinator's son, uh, Jackson Sermon, you know, to, to play linebacker, pretty good pickup from them. But uh, it is tough. I mean, it is tough. Like, you, you're just, I'm, I'm just not sure about this offense. <laughs> I think it's fascinating because I hung my hat on the offense being okay because of Chase Garbers. Like, I mean, you know, if he's healthy, then the team will be fairly solid on offense. Well, for the most part now he, he was, there were some injury things, but like he was healthier than I would have anticipated him being this year. And yeah. the offense didn't move forward. And then if you flip it on the other side, Brett, I think it was Brett Johnson. I, I could have that first name wrong, um, but he was that blue chip tackle that, that was more of an end, but he kind of bulked up and he got in that car accident and when that happened, then you had the departure, uh, Zionde Johnson, and then a couple of the others, these other players. I was like, oh no, this, this is going to be really bad. And to their credit, like they pieced together a defensive line and they had the linebackers that were able to at least keep things in front of them. And I, I mean, you know, everything's relative, right? This wasn't a, a, a defense that blew your socks off, but and like right. 30 as a power five defense, isn't great, but significantly better than I thought. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, if if uh, if the if they have these if the coaching staff proves that it's competent on this front again with like given the talent then I might give them more of a benefit of the doubt because this team played really hard on defense throughout the year regardless of what was going on and I really liked that. I will give them the benefit of the doubt on defense. They've earned it now, right? Like I don't know that I'm gonna like project them to suddenly be a top twenty defense, but I think that's what like it's not outside the realm of possibility when we look at what could, you know, happen next year. And you, I don't think, I certainly don't think I would project them to get any worse. Um, you know, like I think the defense has a little bit of upside potentially, but man, like Garber's, you know, which it felt like he was about the only thing that really worked offensively for Cal at times in years past. I mean, they were just awful. Um, you know, this past season, I don't really know. I don't know of a nice way to, to really, like, there's not a, like a really way you can clean it up. Um, you know, and Garber's, you know, I mean, he was 16 to eight on his, you know, TDs to interceptions, you know, he only threw for 2,500 yards. Um, and there's not really, you know, I mean, and they're bringing in plumber, you know, who didn't, didn't light the world up at Purdue and, you know, lost his job there. Um, you know, and Purdue's offense was a lot better when he was not playing anymore. <laughs> um, it is tough. I mean, I, I thought, I thought Musgrave was a real, you know, I thought there was a real shot that Musgrave didn't come back, but he is. I mean, Wilcox has a brand spanking new contract extension <laughs> at Cal. Um, yeah. I mean, look, look, I mean, you're right. They did play hard, um, you know, and, and what looked I mean, and, and tr truly, I mean, look, that, that loss to Nevada doesn't look so bad-ish at the beginning of the season. But my God, losing to TCU looks awful. Uh, <laughs> you know, they lose to a bad Washington squad a little earlier on, you know. 
they were competitive with an Oregon team that I don't think was as good as people thought they were in the middle of the season, right? And then they had that fluky COVID loss to to Arizona. But um, it's just it's I think it's really tough to look at this team and 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 feel like there's there's a lot of upside offensively. I don't know. I mean, I think what I would have to feel like is that there's someone from a QB standpoint that could really open up what they're going to do offensively. And I just don't think that's the case. And, you know, we, we talked about in the past, you know, the offensive line coach hire that they made. Um, I think this is the year that that really maybe starts to show up and hurt them. Yeah. I, I, um, just looking at the team, if you want a seven and five team, you, you could get it. You know, like you can kind of, fl- it just seems like Cal's going to float between like five and seven and eight and four max. Like, I really think eight and four is stretching it for their ceiling. Now, it is a weird year where you have some pretty crappy teams that are going to come in. But they got Notre Dame in a non conference, too. I mean, yeah, you've got UC Davis and UNLV. I will say, watch it. I mean, this is like, people are going to think this is hilarious, but like watch out a little bit for UNLV. They're not as bad as their record last year. Oh, Um, I'm not saying like, I mean, UNLV's record was bad, but they were, they were like, they were so close. Like they were so close in so many games (laughs) to having a better record. Yeah. I I, Um, I know beta rank was on them at the end. So I I placed a couple wagers on UNLV and that worked out pretty well. Uh, just to cover the spread, not to win, but yeah, it it seemed like they were, they were more competitive as the year progressed and they started putting up points, but they do have, I mean, like, you know, you get Arizona again, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the swap. And so, I mean, there's, there's a real possibility, you know, that they could be at three and one going into Washington state. And then you get Colorado. So the, I mean, I mean, even if you drop that game to Washington state, which, you know, Cal could conceivably win that game. That's a game that Um, Washington state was built to lose, right? Like Washington, yeah, it's <laughs> just sleepy game against Cal. It's like whatever. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I New think, QB throws four interceptions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm but, more bullish. I think Washington State's a better team than Cal, but but I hear. I it. think so too. I mean, like I think Cal's offense is a real problem. And like, but you know, the, the, you get Colorado. There's an. I mean, they've got the two absolute worst team in the Pac-12 in Arizona and Cal. I mean, plus they get Stanford, right? So you're talking about what should be on the schedule, five wins. And then you just need to pick up one more amongst Washington State, Washington, Oregon, USC, Oregon State, or UCLA. I mean, look, you could talk to, like, I think six wins is doable. Like, I, I, <laughs> like, um, I just don't think, I think it's going to be hard for them without some serious turnover luck at the right times, I think, to get to you know, a, a real, you know, higher win level. Cause like, I think the, I think the offense could really shoot him in the foot. The thing that makes me worried is the running game. And I know you can yeah. replace wide running backs and all that stuff, but you know, Christopher Brooks is in the portal. I think Dancy, I got to go back and look if Dancy's a senior, but um, you just have like some of their wide receivers are seniors and it's just, are they going to take that extra COVID year? Are they going to come back? And if, if they do, it's, it's, they're interesting, but long-term, I mean, just looking at the players that they've brought in, I just don't know if they can get beyond that eight-win threshold, and that's fine. I mean, it's Cal. I don't think any Cal fans are fooling themselves by saying like, "Oh, we're going to win a national title" or "We're going to the Rose Bowl." Right. But, but I, but I also like just don't see any of the any of the things that like that showed momentum in the past with some of the schools where it's more difficult to get into, whether it's Cal or Stanford. And I know things have changed in terms of the restrictions and all that stuff, but like it's showing, I guess that that's my point. <laughs> you're starting to see, all right, like yeah. you're going to keep getting regular players and maybe the defense will be good and maybe you can develop them. But the offense is really where I'm worried. If it, if you stick with like Musgrave needs to prove it this year. If yeah. if he's if he runs out the same thing with without any of the COVID excuses, like they're going to need to make a change because you need to be creative if you're Cal in order to to exceed expectations. I mean, it's fun. like so. I mean, I think Washington State is a team that we you could talk yourself into some upside with. Um, I think Washington. I mean, versus where they were last year, they should be better. I'm not. T- I'm not trying to talk anyone into like Washington Pac-12 North contender. <laughs> But like, 
I do think Washington, you know, is probably a seven, eight win team next year. Um, and the PAC 12 North isn't full of juggernauts, right? Like we're talking about, you know, I think Oregon is probably, I mean, I could see Oregon being right around where they were last year, which was not great, you know? And Oregon State, like, I mean, you give John if if, if they had a QB, <laughs> be like a total a QB QB and a defensive coordinator, totally different story. But like, I don't like. I think when you look through the Pac-12 North teams, you look at them and you see, you feel like you look at them and see, like, hey, like none of these teams are so far away from where Cal's likely to be next year with a pretty good defense that Cal couldn't win a game here or there with some turnovers right even with a really bad offense yeah and like and just from a raw stats and i know you almost vomited in your mouth when i said that word but so those words together but just from like the the general stats like cal did better than i remember watching cal do um yeah. you know 2500 yards to the air which isn't great but a two to one touchdown ratio from garbers on the rushing front i just in my mind and i watched a lot i mean i watched as probably 75 percent of the Pac-12 games, um, you know, when you take a look at the running backs, you have Brooks with 600 yards, more 500 yards. Garbers got it done on the ground with 400 yards. Um, you know, Dancy and Chris Street, like th- there was just there was just more production there than I remember, and I think yeah. that's kind of encouraging that they were able to like. So I that that's why I'm not like you know I don't why I don't have a flaming pitchfork and I'm calling for. Musgrave's head is because I would like to see what this team looks like in a normal year. Yeah. And, and, you know, who knows, maybe China invades the, the Bay area next year for all we know. Like, well, I mean, like <laughs> if you look at their schedule last year too, I mean, like they barely played anybody with a pulse on defense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like TCU's defense totally collapsed. <laughs> the only decent ish. I mean, like Washington's defense collapsed relative to expectations, right? Like, you know, this they were is, still I mean, good. I mean, they were still like is the offense that was the problem there. Like, if you yeah, were able- I mean, but you could you could run the ball on Washington, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, the Oregon defense under Deruder wasn't really good. So I just, you know, like I, there, there's a possibility when you look down the schedule again that having a really bad offense doesn't show up as much in the raw stats, right? Like, you know, the only really good defense they're likely to face is Notre Dame. Um, you know, at Notre Dame after that, you know, like, and then Washington state, I think has a shot to have a pretty good defense, but like Colorado, Washington should bounce back, move into a new system, new defensive coordinator, you know, like they might be a top 30 defense, Oregon. Like, I think that they're going to have a lot better scheme and play calling than they've been running. Um, you know, I think Oregon's got a real shot to be a really good defense, but then like USC's probably, you know, maybe a top 30 defense next season. Oregon State's going to be god awful on defense. Stanford's going to be god awful. And we don't have a defensive coordinator <laughs> for UCLA, but like I mean improvement I think there is going to be stepwise. I mean like, you know, as much as I'm saying like Cal's got a god awful offense, like, you know, this is the schedule to have that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like overall, just looking back, I was like, okay. I mean, you know, a, a, a team that didn't ever give up, they had a lot of pro- like problems health wise, right. and uh, and well, we'll see. Like the 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 ceiling for them would be interesting if Musgrave could get the offense going. And now now you're now I'm now I'm in. Now I'm like, okay, all right. Like because I don't if they know got the offense going to like the fifties range. Yeah, in beta rank. Like I kid you not. With a little luck, you could win the Pac-12 North. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I mean, with some luck. I mean, like you'd have to have some luck, but like if you, you know, got lucky and handed Oregon a loss at home, then you're cooking, right? Like you're 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 you know you're you're up on Oregon in the standings potentially. You know, like I, I mean, you you're gonna get whipped by Utah if you play them, but. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I guess the path would be, you know, just beating all the South teams, hoping that you win one, you know, you knock off one of the North teams yeah. that matter, and now you're you're in contention. I just in my mind, and 
I just can't see a world where Cal's on top of the North next year. And I realize it's a it's a weird year. And if there was one year where it was going to happen, it'd be then. But I just, you know, it's even a with, deeply weird year in the North next year, right? Yeah. Like, even with, like, I mean, like I, you you should. I mean, we should pick Oregon on top of the North. Like I think it'd be crazy not to. But I think the Ducks are going to have some growing pains, don't you? I mean, on, on offense, like I don't expect Oregon to be. I don't expect let's put it this way. I don't think anyone in the North is going to be dominant, right? Like I think I think somebody could have some bad luck and lose some games. Yeah, it's more just based on the talent that's in Berkeley. Oh yeah, based on the track record of the offense so far, and them having to figure out a new quarterback and losing their top running back. Like I just when when I take a look at the North and the other teams there. Like I trust Oregon State more than I trust Cal. I trust Washington State right yeah. now more than I trust Cal, and I certainly trust Oregon. And that doesn't even mention a Washington team where you know maybe DeBoer is in year one, like just just rocks that team back into where it should be. I don't. I don't. I mean, plan the offense on it. would take significant steps forward with DeBoer, right? Like I yeah. would expect that. I just I think if Cal were to were to win the North, and even in a weird year like this, it would be like you know backing into a pool and not seeing that the pool is there and like tripping over a banana peel into said pool is how I just think Cal would end. Like they would just have to fall backwards so hard into that, into that first position spot where I just think the North is going to become more competent over time. And, and you, but you're right. Like Oregon state has questions. Washington state has questions. Oregon has questions. So I all that to say is if you're a Cal fan, you know, like looking into the, I think I think there's a reason to be optimistic moving into this year. I'm just worried long term. Can Cal actually stay relevant, um, or not stay? Can it be relevant in the Pac-12 with the coaching staff that it has? And I think a lot of that rides on Musgrave. I think the other the other aspects, yeah. like they'll they'll probably always have a decent defense. Now I'm like I'm starting to come around to that, but um, but the recruiting isn't great. The offense hasn't been great. They they do need to improve some things, but like they could certainly go to a bowl and. And if yeah. they do that, now you now you've built a little bit of a foundation for the the Wilcox resurgence, Rod. Are you are you ready for it, Rob? It's it's coming soon. Well, here's the thing: is like you could come through this year, keep Musgrave and that offensive staff, you know, because maybe you get to eight wins, and then roll in the next year with a very different Pac-12 schedule, <laughs> right? Where oh like, yeah, yeah. You know, the schedule worm turns, uh, you know, and they've got. <clears throat> that next year they'll have Auburn, you know, and they'll get the both Arizona and Colorado will roll off the schedule and you'll get Arizona state and Utah back on the schedule. Like that could be a very different, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a very different world to live in. I think plus, you know, like USC who you get every year. Like, I mean, that's where, I mean, I, I think there is some optimism. I think if you're a Cal fan, you should look, I mean, this is, I don't know. Like, I think this is the easiest schedule in the Pac-12. I mean, this is a really easy schedule. <laughs> so, uh, cash in, right? Like, you should the, the they should be able they like Cal should have an outside shot at eight wins next season. Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep a look on that. Um, I do any any to podcast on a high note. That's good. That's good, Rob. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah we're we're starting to. No, I mean, like I came into this thinking like I'm going to have nothing but bad things to say. You know, sorry, Cal fans, and I don't mean like I don't come into it with that. But then, like, I look at the schedule and I'm like, oh, lots of things are possible. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, uh, all right, what do we want to do next week? We still can't do UCLA because they don't have a defensive coordinator. It doesn't make any sense to do USC. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I mean, we could do Washington. We could do uh, Oregon. We could do Utah. Let's do Washington. Arizona State. Let's do I Washington. Mean, I'm sorry, let's do the Huskies. Yeah, because they're they're almost right. They'll probably get a few more transfers and then they'll be done. Whereas, yeah. um, I, but same thing with Oregon, though. You're right, but but I just I always feel like we cover Oregon before Washington, and we shouldn't. And I'm I'm really interested in what this coaching staff is able to do, um, because this could be a really good long term, uh, project in in a good way for Washington, right? If they, if they're able to like build a culture and build, I just think that Washington has a lot going for it. And if yeah. if DeBoer gets it together, I do think that Washington has 
the resources to keep him there in the medium term. I don't know about the long term, right? I mean, it just there's so much money going through. But um, man, no, I, I mean, if he really got, I mean, if he, you know, he's not Chris Peterson, right? Like that. That's not like he's not. Kalen DeBoer is not. Doesn't strike me as somebody that is, you know, going to turn down USC t- type of job because he doesn't want the limelight. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like, so like if he got it going at Washington, um, you know, and I mean, there are probably, I mean, a couple of SEC jobs, a couple of Big Ten jobs, maybe one or two. ACC jobs that, you know, could maybe come knocking, right? Like, but, you know, like if you got it, I mean, but if you're a Washington fan, like live it, if he gets it rolling, just live it up. Like who cares? Be happy. Like winning football games is hard. That's the hard part. <laughs> and and, it, and I think with DeBoer, it's going to take him three years. It's going to take him a little bit. And yeah. he's going to, it's not going to be like, I don't know. I'm, I'm projecting right now, but in my mind, it's not going to be a, like a big splashy year and then, you know, and then like everybody graduates. I think if, if he gets it going, I think it's going to be like a, um, it's, it's going to be a wave where it, or not a wave. It's, it's just going to keep coming. Like it's good. Yeah. All the pieces are already going to be there and they will continue to be there. I, I hope that's my hope for Washington. So. Well, I mean, I look, I think the offense could be good. We'll get to it. But I think the, like, I mean, I think in particular with panics, they're pulling the trigger. Like that's a really experienced, you know, uh, you know, QB who knows the system. Um, and DeBoer is a fun offensive play caller. So, what and man. he runs a fun offense. He's not the guy to put all the plays, but he runs a fun offense and they, a, they, they clean that up. Just such a disaster with like, like he had, I mean, you just, that job falls in, not fall. I mean, he, he, he worked for it and it didn't fall in his life. Right. I don't want to, but um, you get a job that is amazing and you get, you have the pieces already there. And just to totally, ugh. anyway, um, well, well, I mean, what's funny is like, you know, um, Stephen Godfrey, who's pretty well connected. He does the split zone duo. Um, he said that, you know, people warned, I mean, people saw that coming with Jimmy Lake within the Washington, you know, football office. Oh <laughs> no. Right. And like they went and did it anyway. Uh. Well, it's always brightest before dawn or darkest before light, whatever. Hey, um, it's over, man. Yeah. <laughs> every every program, every program is one. Like, let me tell you something. Like, I say this, and people don't believe me, but it's true, and you should definitely believe it. Because, like, I had somebody saying, like, Arizona's never going to recruit good players, and let me tell you, like, <laughs> less than a month later. I have not. I have not gone back to tell that person that they were an idiot on Twitter, which is big of me. But <laughs> like, like, it's you are one coach away yeah. from things being very different. Yeah, yeah, things can good or bad. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, well, we'll we'll hang it up there. Thanks everybody for joining us, uh, Washington next week, and uh, a lot of cool things that we can cover in that program. I'm excited to uh, take a look back and just. Start. We will know what happens with Caleb Williams. It will be known by the next time we record. Oh, oh. Well, Brian Kelly will be very excited. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully he goes to USC. Don't go <laughs> like, oh, just don't waste your, don't waste your life with Brian Kelly. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Well, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. A uh, lot to cover as we continue through the off season and we will catch you next week.